Yes, you are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, September the 16th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, all by myself today. Uh, Tomorrow with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at a hymn that appears to have a title that is contrary to Lutheran theology. So join with us tomorrow for that discussion. But right now, we're taking a look at readings for this next Sunday, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. And they're from Psalm 113, Amos 8, 1 Timothy 2, and Luke 16. I've chosen to take a look at Amos chapter 8. And I do that because a lot of times pastors preach on the gospel, and that's one of Jesus' parables, and so I'm sure they've heard about it. But Amos chapter 8 is also a very good text to look at because I feel there's a lot of misunderstanding when they take a look at a text like this. Uh, Let me uh, read it. Amos 8, beginning with verse 4. Now, the editors at the beginning of chapter 8 have a title, The Coming Day of Bitter Mourning. And when they say mourning, they're talking about M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And why is there going to be bitter mourning in Israel? Uh, This is why you need to keep in mind law and gospel when you read a text like this, because you can really be put in the wrong direction. Verse 4, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Now, what are they talking about? Well, in Deuteronomy 15, there is a way in which God had indicated that you take care of the poor. And that, of course, is also from the book of Moses. It's Deuteronomy chapter 15, and it begins with verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? And in what sense are you to open your hand to him? Well, the text goes on and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year the euro release is near, and your eyes look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin." Now, what was happening at the time of Amos is that the people of God, many of them, especially those who were rich, were not helping out at all those who were poor. In fact, 
they were doing the very opposite what God had said. And Amos, therefore, from God's point of view, is bringing a curse upon Israel for their inhumane treatment of the poor. Now, let me go on a little bit to see just what they're doing. They say, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? Remember, in Israel's day, there were a number of ceremonial laws, including not working on Saturday. You weren't allowed to work. And there were other festivals. There was a festival of the new moon. And during that time, you were not permitted to buy items or sell them. And so what are they saying? When's this festival going to be over that we may sell grain? This is the way they want to trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, not by helping them, but by getting rid of them. And it includes the Sabbath, that's Saturday. When will Sabbath end that we may offer wheat for sale? Now, not only are they going to want to sell on the Sabbath, but here's what they say about it. That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Now, we don't understand what an ephah is or even what a shekel is. And we need to understand that, that an ephah was a certain amount. It was about three-fifths of a bushel, or 22 liters. And a shekel was about two-fifths of an ounce, or 11 grams. So what they were going to do is with their balances, they were going to be deceitful. They would corrupt the balances. So let's say, using our understanding, you bring uh, a pound of wheat, and when you weigh it on their scales, it only comes to eight-tenths of a pound. So you have to give more to make up a pound on their scales And that's how they were cheating the poor. They were, and this is what verse 5 says, they were dealing deceitfully with false balances. It was even worse than that. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. What's going on here? Well, there were some in Israel who took slave trading as part of their work. And somebody owed you money, and they were unable to pay you. Well, you could sell them for silver or even for a pair of sandals, which were not cheap in those days. 
And even worse, listen to verse 6. And sell the chaff of the wheat. Now, what does that mean? What's the chaff? Well, every time that you are taking care of getting the wheat separated from the chaff, some of the people selling it were sweeping up the chaff, which is no good at all, and mixing it with the grain they were selling. And that way they would bulk up their bags of wheat. Not only was this thievery, because you were selling at a higher cost than it should have been, but by mixing the chaff, this was not a healthy practice. You know, try and eat chaff. You'll see it just doesn't work. So verse 7 kind of goes on, which is the ending for the Old Testament reading. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Now, he's there for swearing by what he considers to be uh, people that are cheating the poor. It's kind of highly ironic, isn't it? By their pride, they're so prideful, I will swear by it that I will never forget any of their deeds. What does that mean? Now, most commentaries, when they talk about this section, they will say, see, this is where we need to be Christian in our outlook to the poor. In in other words, they see this as primarily sinfulness that we need to correct. Now, let me just stop there and ask you this question. If you heard a sermon that you need to correct this, and the way you do it is by giving to the poor, does that make any sense? Or is that legalism? How often do we hear, and on my way, for example, to the International Center, there's a couple of intersections where they have lines because of red lights, and there's some people on the side begging for money. And it's kind of interesting that people actually stop and give them money. I never give them any money. Am I like, therefore, Israel not taking care of the poor? No, I do some reading, and newspapers, magazines, they have done an analysis, and the vast majority of these people are getting money in order to buy drugs or liquor. Why would I want to give to a person who already expects himself to be poor that a worse condition than he or she already is in. Now, 
you may want to stop and talk to them. Let's say you're walking down the street and they're begging for money. You may want to stop and talk to them and uh, introduce them to maybe a church in the area that they could go to and, and get some help. We had such a problem in one city I pastored that the congregations joined together and there were about eight congregations in the city and we decided that only one of them would distribute food and clothing, but we would send to them food and clothing we collected for the poor. Why would we do that? Well, the needy heard about this and they would go to receive needed food and clothing. But this church would keep track of who they were so that they would not overdo and overtake what was proper. And they also had individuals that would try and get them jobs, which was not very successful because they really weren't looking for work as much as they were looking for something else. And that was money. So it's one thing to be taking care of the needy. And the best place that occurs is really in a congregation. I had a pretty sizable percentage of people at a congregation I served for 28 years that were on welfare. And I was aware of this. And so when they would come to me, maybe they were out of food or needed some help in getting to the doctor and such, we would make arrangements to take care of them. They were members of the congregation. Uh, we trusted them that they really had a need. Uh, we lived on a four-way highway or four-way road in St. Louis. So we had a number of people stop at our house in order to ask for money. And it wasn't unusual they would come and say, my car broke down and I need some gas for it. Would you give me some money? And I often would say, because I had a can of gas in our garage, and I said, no, no, no. Uh, here, get in my car and we'll take the can of gas to your car and I can fill you up so you can get to your gas station. It only happened once that I had to do that. Everybody else started making excuses. Well, the car is pretty far away or something like that. And it was pretty obvious to me they, they weren't there to get money for gas. They were there to get money for something else. When I first came to that neighborhood, and that was way back, 1974, it wasn't at all unusual. You could go door to door, knock on the door, and talk to people about Jesus. But by the time I left, almost 30 years later, nobody was opening their door anymore because of the crime that had occurred. And in fact, even the city had a rule that I found really interesting. For us to go door to door, we had to get a permit from the city. And I thought that was a good idea. Why? Because the city was protecting the neighborhood. Now, people still didn't open the door, and we mainly used it 
kind of for when we did caroling because people wouldn't open the door, but once they heard the singing start, sometimes they would open the door and stand there listening to our singing and, and go on. I mean, how many times have you told uh, one of your children, a son or a daughter, when they're living alone, do not open the door at night when someone's knocking and you don't know who it is? Uh, we're living here in St. Louis where, what, 13 children have been shot to death recently? And it's kind of a dangerous area. Now, I drive for Uber, but Uber, unlike when I drove for Yellow Cab, when I drove for Yellow Cab, I would actually pick people up off the street. Uber, you don't do that. You only pick people up who you see their name and address on your phone. And so it's a lot more safe than it would have been when I was driving for Yellow Cab. And so things change. But what I want to do is get back to this Amos. Is that what God is really concerned about? Is there sin? No. It's not sin that is the problem. Why? Because the Lord has sworn, verse 7 is really critical, by the pride of Jacob... Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Now, I don't know about you, but I am sure I've had opportunities to help out the poor, and maybe for a sinful reason, I did not. There, there's nobody who could not be indicted under Amos 8, 4-7. to seven. I do not believe that God is saying here you need to help start you need to start helping the poor out and then you can offset the sins you had done even when you help out the poor how many times do you get the motivation well God's going to be pleased with me now because I'm following the Deuteronomy passage which makes it sin because now you're doing helping out the poor out of self-interest. Behind all sin that God will not forget is something else. And that's called unbelief. We, we really need to read these prophets in explaining when they list the number of sins that what they're really listing are the results of unbelief. That's why God permitted the Babylonians to take Israel into captivity. Not because of sin, because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. If sin were the problem, then none of us would go to heaven. But see, there's another passage, more than once in the Bible, where God says he will no longer remember your sin which is the very opposite of what he says in verse 7, where he makes a vow that he will not forget your sin. How do you get God to forget your sin? It's found in Jeremiah and Hebrews. It's the new covenant that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, 
God will no longer hold them accountable for their sins. In preaching this to a congregation, the antidote is not to get people to start helping out the poor to offset their sins in not helping the poor. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't help the poor, but be aware of the fact from a law and gospel point of view, what Amos' whole book is about is the results of unbelief that are occurring. What kind of unbelief? Well, unbelief that God is going to take care of you. You don't believe the promises of God. And therefore, that's the reason that you're mixing the chaff with the wheat, that you're using false balances and doing all these things against the poor. Jesus loved poor and the rich. A lot of times you hear these passages used as an indictment against rich people. Yes, rich people sin in these areas, but so do poor people. There's no doubt that all of us have these sins. How do we get to the point where God is going to forget these sins? Well, both Jeremiah and Hebrews talks about this new covenant that for the believers, for some reason, God no longer remembers your sins. He forgives your iniquities. And that's because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, how did they have that relationship? They believed he was the Messiah who would be coming, the Son of Man, as described in Daniel 7 and many other places in the Bible. And then when Jesus did come, many who believed in him doesn't mean that they believe he existed. That was obvious. He was a carpenter from Nazareth. They believed his promises. So what this text is really telling us is we need to be aware of the fact that every time we sin, we're breaking the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. These sins are actions of idolatry. And they're overcome as we repent of those sins and trust in the Lord Jesus to take care of us. But we are weak. And, and therefore, every one of us can probably understand Amos to talking about somewhere we've done these sins also. But in contrast to the unbeliever, where God does not forget his sins... The believer hears the comfort of the gospel that God does forgive your sins. This is what the whole Reformation was about. It wasn't about that if you shape up your life and start doing the good works that God wants, God will send you to heaven. No. The message of the gospel is that even though you're a sinner, Jesus came to save sinners. Remember... He did not come to save those who don't think they need a doctor. He came to save those who recognize they need a physician, a spiritual physician. And even though Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he also often says, or could say, I am the great 
physician, which he practiced in healing people, but healing them mostly from their sinful condition. So the point of this lesson is a simple one. Every time you see sins being enumerated, take a look at the text to see if the real problem is the sin or the unbelief behind it. And when you see the unbelief behind it, then the message is to share with individuals that as we trust in Jesus who died on the cross to pay for our sins, we have a God who will forget our sins just by trusting in Jesus Christ's promises. That's the real point of the book of Amos. As I said on tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be taking a look at a hymn that appears to contradict Lutheran theology. Mark Smith will be with us. We'll take a look at it and see whether or not there is an answer to our concern. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. Tune in tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.